Testament. It's called Let Justice Roll, because later on we're going to find a scripture that talks about justice will roll like a river. We can relate to that. You can go up and see the beautiful Icicle River or watch the Wenatchee River, even the Columbia to some degree, and you think, man, wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of time God's justice would roll over this earth and make all things right? Well, the good news, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. A lot of injustice in our families, in our churches, in our communities, in our world today. But someday, God will come and make all things right. Justice will flow. So we need to keep that in mind as we work through the book of Amos. I told you I was going to preach uh, through all six books sequentially, or there's seven books, but do it in six weeks. But I have really felt uh, that we need to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, particularly as we come into the Halloween season. There's so much emphasis on the evil spirits. This is a time that we need to realize we have the Holy Spirit with us, the Holy Spirit in us. And uh, last Wednesday night at our journey, uh, Pastor Mike Johnson was teaching. And I tell you, it was a wonderful, for you that were there, uh, it was a wonderful uh, time of remembering the power of the Holy Spirit. We're Pentecostals. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I've asked Mike if in two weeks, actually on Halloween, if he will speak and talk about specifically our truth, our fundamental truth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to interrupt Amos here in a couple weeks, but today we're going to be in Amos chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn there. It's an Old Testament book, Old Testament prophet, one of the minor prophets, simply meaning he wrote less than the other prophets. Uh, he brought God's word to the people of God almost 800 years before Jesus was ever born. So this is a really ancient book that we're studying. And it's given to a very specific audience. We've talked about that. But still, we can glean incredible truths that apply to our own lives. Because the word of God is applicable to us in the here and now. The same warnings that Amos gave to Judah and Israel and the surrounding countries can also apply to us today in America at Wenatchee First Assembly and most importantly in our own lives. It's easy for us to say, yeah, God, judge all those sinners, judge all those hypocrites. But no, the scripture says we need to come humbly before the Lord and say, Father, cleanse me, search me, know my heart today. Because God only changes communities as he changes hearts. God only changes churches as he changes individual hearts. You're not responsible for the person across the, the row from you. You're responsible for your own response. Now, I know that we have been saved through the mercy of God. And we understand that this is 800 years before Jesus was born, another 33 years before he went to the cross. We understand that, that we are saved and kept through the mercy and grace of God, not our performance. But friends, we need to realize we can't grow lax in our walk with him. God still requires holiness out of his people. When you and I grow lax, you know what happens? God disciplines us. 
And he does it out of love. He does it out of grace. He does it because he desires my character to mature into Christ-likeness. Did you know God's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort? Now, we pray a lot of prayers for things that will make us comfortable. We want healing from physical illness. We want bigger and better. We want all these things that are more comfort-related. But God's more concerned about our character, even in this age of grace. So we're going to read Amos 3 today. It's another hard message, just like Amos 2 was. It's a difficult message for them to hear. It's a difficult message for us to hear. And basically, and I've entitled this message, um, How Could You? How could you? Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Maybe your parents, maybe your spouse. How could you? How could you? What were you thinking? And that's what God was basically saying through Amos. How could you? Israel, Judah, all the opportunities I've given you. How could you? And the responsibility you have to all the surrounding people. You were to be an example. And I think he's saying the same thing to us. We are to be an example in this very fearful, polarized time of our society. We are to be example, modeling what Christ followers should look like. And if we squander that opportunity, we're going to hear the same words. How could you? I mean, God could be saying the same thing to me today. I need to be open to hear his voice. We don't live in the same time. We don't live in the same culture as the Israelites did. We're not even guilty of some of the same sins they were, yet open your heart today because God could be saying to you as an individual, in light of all I've done for you, you just saying, God, you're so good. And you reflected on all the, all the gifts of God. And how could you, in the midst of all that, make those decisions that you're making today? Enjoy those secret sins that no one else knows about. I want us to read the text. It's going to be a little different today. You know, generally I, I do three points. If I'm real generous, I'll give you four points. Um, going through a book like this... Uh, it's a little bit more difficult sometimes just to find those points. So today I'm just going to make two observations. I'm going to speak, and then at the very, very end of the message, I'm going to give you three takeaways. They're not points, but they're things that I want us to learn, okay? Right now, though, let's stand and let's read God's Word. Are you ready? Amos 3, listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel. Against the entire family that I rescued from Egypt. From among all the families on the earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for your sins. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Does a lion ever roar in a thicket without first finding a victim? Does a young lion growl in its den without first catching its prey? 
Does a bird ever get caught in a trap that has no bait? Does a trap spring shut when there's nothing to catch? When the ram's horn blows a warning, shouldn't the people be alarmed? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has planned it? Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, so who isn't frightened? The sovereign Lord has spoken, so who can refuse to proclaim his message? Announce this to the leaders of Philistia and to the great ones of Egypt. Take your seats now on the hills around Samaria. Witness the chaos and the oppression in Israel. My people have forgotten how to do right, says the Lord. Their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming and he will surround them and shatter their defenses. Then he will plunder all their fortresses. This is what the Lord says. A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from a lion's mouth will recover only two legs or a piece of an ear. So it will be for the Israelites in Samaria, lying on luxurious beds and for the people of Damascus, reclining on couches. Now listen to this and announce throughout all Israel, says the Lord, the Lord God of heaven's armies. On the very day I punish Israel for its sins, I will destroy the pagan altars at Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off, the fall to the ground, and I'll destroy the beautiful homes of the wealthy, their winter mansions and their summer houses too, all their palaces filled with ivory, says the Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will be our teacher today as we take a difficult portion of Scripture and we try to find the biblical applications for our own life here in the United States in 2021. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what we need to know so that we can make the appropriate changes, so that we can walk in holiness and righteousness and be aligned with the many blessings you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Two real quick observations here. First of all, Israel had been given an opportunity. And you and I have been given an opportunity. We see in verse 1, it was the Lord who was speaking. It wasn't Amos. It was through Amos. But it was the Lord. This wasn't Amos speaking on his behalf. It was God speaking through Amos. And it was God's review of the Israelites. Just like sometimes you go to Yelp. And yet you type in a restaurant that you haven't been to. And you read all the reviews. Well, I'm sure if you would read all the reviews of Israel, the leaders of that day would be very proud of themselves. Man, we've accumulated all this wealth. And we've got these mansions. And we've got everything's great. But God's review <laughs> was only one star instead of five stars. He saw the opportunity that they had and they hadn't taken it. He's saying basically, Israel, I love you, but there's nothing good about you right now. In his review, we see this theme that comes up time and time again. How can you do this? How can you live like this when there's people in distress, people who are perishing, when there's people who are hungry, people who are needy? 
In the face of everything I've done for you, Israel, I deliver you. I provided manna for you. I provided water through a rock. How can you keep living your own selfish lifestyle after all I've blessed you with? That's the first observation I see. They received an opportunity. We have received an opportunity. We are blessed beyond any. We are so blessed to live in the United States of America. God has blessed us. God has blessed our churches. God continues to bless us. In verse 2, we see the review applied to the whole family of God. Now remember, the, the country was divided. The Israelites were divided. Some lived in Judah. Some lived in Israel. And even though the nations had been divided, God was judging them both. I have a feeling when God looks down at his people, he doesn't just see the Pentecostals here and the Baptists here. He's speaking to the family of God. He's speaking to all of us. And we have to remember that, friends. We might have differences with other churches or, or other uh, ministries. But, friends, we're in this thing together. And we need to support one another. Now, if you've ever read the book of Exodus, or maybe you did the shortcut thing and you just watched the movie, The Ten Commandments. Some of you did that. But anyway, either way, you know that Joseph died and this new pharaoh came to power. And he was against God's people. He had a chip on his shoulder. He just did not like the people of faith. And so for 400 years, yes, 400 years, think of that. They were enslaved. They were oppressed. They were driven by masters who had no uh, regard for their welfare. And they would cry out to God, save us. God, we're dying here. Won't you come to our aid? And he did. Now, he didn't remove them from their environment, but he provided in the environment. Just like he is providing for us in the midst of all the stuff we're going through. God hears us. He responds to us. And he did say, I will not only take you out of slavery... But I'm going to take you into this really awesome place. Man, full of vegetation, full of opportunity. It's called the promised land. He had given them opportunity. The second observation that I see as I've read this and studied it is God had designated these people, the children of Israel, no matter if they lived in the north or the south, He had designated them as family. Didn't matter where they lived. And sometimes I said this earlier, we get confused. We see the geographical country of Israel even today and we think, oh, that's God's chosen people there, that that particular country. No, God's chosen people are a people, uh, not a geographical area. And God designated Israel as His family. And now the good news is for us Gentiles on this side of the cross, on this side of the day of Pentecost, the Gentiles have been grafted into that family. So you and I are of the same family because of the grace and mercy of God. I love in verse 2 it talks about 
God said, I have been intimate with you alone. Now, some translations are going to use a different word. I understand that. If you have NIV, I think it uses chosen. But, you know, I love the word intimate because I think it reflects more accurately God's heart. See, it wasn't just that God knew them as a group of people. It wasn't just that God knew their names or that God was aware. It says intimate. I know you intimately. It's a Hebrew word. And if you look it up in your lexicon, you'll find out it's the exact same Hebrew word used in Genesis when it said Abraham or uh, Adam knew Eve. And as a result of that, a son was born. And as a result of God knowing Israel, we have been born into his family. God was telling the Israelites, man, my relationship with you is an intimate one. I love you. I'm committed to you no matter what. And as we read through the Old Testament, we see that God was close to them in a way that was above his relationship with anyone else. They were God's chosen people. But remember, he didn't choose them because they were prestigious. They were the largest group. They were the most powerful group. He chose them the same way he chose us, by his grace and mercy. I don't understand it. But God has chosen us to be part of his family. He called Abraham to be the father of this nation and to continue this special relationship with all of Abraham's offsprings. He gave them priests, he gave them prophets, he gave them kings. Remember when they're in the wilderness, he gave them things like shoes. Now think about that. He didn't just give them spiritual leadership, he gave them practical things. God's concerned about what is or what is not in your cupboards this morning. God is concerned what is and what is not in your bank account this morning. God's concerned about your daily life, friends. Some of you are torn because you've got tough decisions to make because some of the, the mandates that, uh, uh, that we're living under right now. Tough stuff. But God is with you, and God will provide he didn't just provide a priest or he didn't just provide a prophet. He provided shoes for people when their shoes wore out in the desert. That's a loving God. He provided manna. He provided water. When they needed direction, he provided a pillar of cloud or a, a pillar of fire. He's the one that caused the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down. He empowered this guy by the name of David to destroy this giant by the name of Goliath. See, God was with his people over and over and over and over again. And through Amos, God is saying, don't you remember all those things? Don't you remember how good I have been to you? I've blessed you. I've cared for you. I loved you. And I think he's saying the same thing to us today. Oh, we can look back at our blessings Man, Virgil, 93, 94 years, he just stood here and said, I've had a lot of miracles in my life. It wasn't just this miracle. He's had a lot of miracles. And God's been good to him. God's been good to all of us. Can you say amen? Yeah. 
He's been good to us. He cared for us. Yet sometimes, like the people of Israel, we murmur. We complain. Sometimes we even revert back to our own sinful lifestyle. And again and again, God gives us over to our sinful ways, the same way that he gave Israel over to their sinful ways. I don't know what it is about us, but we just can't seem to be satisfied with God alone. We're always searching for other stuff. God's response was, how could you? After all I've done for you, how could you? And in verse number three, he talks about punishing them. Now, I want you to remember that God was not angry. He was probably disappointed, but God was not angry. He was not punishing them because he was vindictive. He was punishing them because of his jealousy for them, his extreme love for them. You know, if, if you've ever watched a Hallmark movie, you sometimes people have to go that second mile to save that relationship. That relationship so important to them that they'll do whatever it takes to get back reunited with the true love of their life. That's what God was doing. He was so jealous he, of that relationship. He missed that relationship. He threw his grace and mercy and goodness out the door and he said, I'm going to have to use a different approach. I'm going to punish them to try to get their attention. Now the thing is, he always warns us. That's what the scripture said. He always warns us before he gets to this point. And I believe that's why God has directed me to preach through the book of Amos this fall. Because he's a good God and he's a God full of grace and mercy. And only he knows what 2022, 2023, and 2024 is going to hold. And he's saying, come back home to me. Come back home to me. Come back home so you'll be safe in the days ahead. we got to realize the punishment of God was not ever to destroy them. He considered them to be his people that he was intimate with. He wasn't divorcing them. He wasn't saying, well, you failed me. I'm going to go look for somebody else. He was not doing that at all. And he's not doing that to us either who've been grafted into his family. Again, this was written to a very specific group of people in Israel centuries ago. But the message still has implications for us. Punishments in Amos were described in detail here. You see, you and I maybe haven't been delivered from slavery the way that they were, but we have been delivered from slavery from sin. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, He has broken the bonds, the chains. He has taken you from the kingdom of darkness and delivered you to the kingdom of light. He has saved you from your sin, from the slavery you had to the enemy of your soul. And Paul described how we've been enslaved 
in our worldly appetite. We can read that through many of the writings of the Apostle Paul. We've been enslaved to our worldly appetites. We've been enslaved to the devil through his lies. And Jesus is the one who has delivered us from all that, from the bondage of sin. So friends, we are not under God's wrath. We know Jesus went to the cross for us, right? We've been adopted into his family because of the finished work of the cross. And like Israel, God has given us so much. And when we have received so much of God, we need to understand much is required of us. To much is given, much is required. Could not God say to us in this building this morning and those watching online, man, in light of all I've done for you, I've saved you. I've given you everything you need for life. I've given you peace. I provided for you. How have you repaid me this past week? Did you show love and gratitude? Did you see the image of God in every person that you came into contact with? Did you treat them the way that I would want to treat them? Did you squander your blessings? How could you? I mean, man, how could I engage in that kind of behavior? How could I engage in those kind of thoughts? when you think about all God has done for us. A commentary that I've used uh, for this series is by James Montgomery Boyce. And I, I want to read just a, a short paragraph of his commentary on this passage, okay? God is no patsy. He is not a weak-livered, pathetic figure wringing his hands on the ramparts of heaven as he witnesses our sin, wondering what he's going to do. He is the lion God. He is the God who marches at the head of alien armies to judge his unholy people. Man, that just captured my heart when I read that. So we need to recognize when God, through the Holy Spirit, through conviction, you might not hear the words, how could you? But there are times in all of our lives that we make choices, we sin, we fall back into our selfish ways, and we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But basically when we feel that, God's saying, how could you? I'm holy. I've been faithful in taking care of your needs. How have you responded in such an opposite way? Instead of following me and worshiping me, you've raised other things up in my place. Maybe your image. Maybe your bank account. Maybe your sports team. Man, often we put our trust and our hope and our desires in created things rather than in the creator. Now, the good news <laughs> is amidst our unfaithfulness, God is perpetually faithful. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. 
But remember, there is accountability required, and we see it here. Remember all those questions we read? I think it starts in verse 3 or 4. How does a lion roar in a thicket, and how does a bird get caught in a trap? There's actually, if you count them, there's six questions there. And each one, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. How can two walk together if not going in the same direction? Well, you can't. Does a lion roar? Yes, it does. The zinger comes in verse 6 that says, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? There's no way we can interpret that in context without saying, no, there is no way. The answer to that is yes, too. If disaster has come to a city, it's a judgment of the Lord. Now, I want you to pause for a minute here. This is really important because we need to understand uh, the context. We need to understand that this was written to a specific group of people, okay? Amos was warning specifically the disaster was about to come upon a certain city. And he didn't want the people to think that that disaster was a uh, coincidence. He wanted them to know when that disaster comes, that's judgment of God. He was saying, when it comes, when that day comes, it was God who brought the disaster. You could have averted it by repenting. You could have, reverted, uh, uh, you, you could have avoided it by changing your way, but you didn't. Now, you need to be careful, church, how you interpret that. Just because that was true in Amos's day, does not mean that is always true in the life that we live on this side of the cross. Now, when disaster hits, and we've had lots of them, we need to be praying for the country of Haiti. You might have seen that a group of missionaries and orphans were kidnapped last night by some rogue Haitians. We just took an offering for Haiti after that earthquake. And it's easy for us to say, well, that's just God judging them. No matter what happens, there's going to be preachers, I guarantee it, that say, whatever happens, if there's a flood, if there's a fire, if there's a mass shooting, if if there's an earthquake, they're going to say a particular group of sinners has brought on that disaster. That is not always true. It was true in the day of Amos. It could be true in our day. But friends, there are times that God allows things to happen for reasons we don't understand. I want you to remember what Matthew says, the fifth chapter. He says, rain falls on the just and the unjust. Another translation says, rain falls upon the godly and the ungodly. The sun shines on the godly and the ungodly. So we don't think God ever judges a city. We might say, well, God's judging a people, and he does. But friends, that does not mean every tornado, every hurricane, every earthquake is a result of God's judgment. God's merciful, he's kind. 
Now, when disaster strikes, I think the first thing we do need to do is get on our knees and say, God, are you trying to get our attention? Is there an offensive way in me? Could this have been averted in any way? But when you're talking about natural disasters, things that happen, friends, be careful not to, to wrap that in your, theologi- your, your theology about judgment against the unbeliever. Because God here gives two indictments specifically to Israel. Again, in context, this was a judgment against that city. But he allotted for two reasons. And here's the two reasons that I think you and I need to ask ourselves, you know, have we grown comfortable? Because that was one of the reasons. We read about it. They're living in these wonderful houses. They're prospering. Don't ever think just because your bank account is increasing, that is a sign that God is blessing you. It might be, but it might not be either. Verse 11. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming. He will surround them and shatter their defenses, and he will plunder their fortresses. See, the Israelite people were in a season of economic prosperity. So what did they do? They built bigger houses. They built strongholds where they felt safe. And they started feeling like it was their strongholds that was keeping them safe instead of it was their God who was keeping them safe. Because of all their comforts, people had stopped looking to God for their protection and their provision. Why do we see so many more physical miracles in third world countries because they don't have the comforts that we do here in America. I would say, and I am as guilty as you are, if we have a headache, we generally reach for the Excedrin bottle instead of getting on our knees and asking God to heal us. But if we don't have an Excedrin bottle, we pray. A lot of people don't have Excedrin and ibuprofen and all those things. So they go right to God. That's why they see more miracles. Because in many ways, we have grown comfortable. They also, in their comfort, grew very corrupt. As we've seen, our government grow corrupt. Churches, through the centuries, as they have prospered, they grow comfortable And the comfort leads to corruption. That's why in verse 9 he mentions that he's going to bring great chaos, great oppression. What was God's response? (laughs) I'm going to punish you and it's not going to be pleasant. And we know that Hebrews tells us that. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says, no discipline is pleasant at the time. Never was when my dad or my mom disciplined me. It never was pleasant. In fact, often it was painful. But God's discipline can be pervasive. It can save you from something much worse. There's no area God's discipline doesn't touch. There should be nothing in our lives off limit to him. And God's discipline always has a purpose. Verse 7 says, the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants. 
Because of God's love and grace to us, we're going through this difficult passage because God wants a change of heart from all of us. In a few minutes, we're going to open up these altars. I'm just going to invite you to come and spend some time with God. We're not going to have a formal dismissal today. I just really feel we need to press in. We need to say, God, is there something in my heart, something in my life, something in my attitude that needs adjusted? Amos is telling the people what was going to happen because God was giving them an opportunity to change their lifestyle. God sent Amos to speak to the people so that they would follow and obey him. None of those threats had to become reality if they would choose to repent of their sins. So here's your three takeaways. We're concluding with this. Three takeaways. Number one, fear God. I mean, love God. Be intimate with God. Know that God is that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But also have a healthy fear of God. We must fear God. Either through his warnings that come through the Bible and teaching like this, or one day it'll be face to face. I'm not sure I want to see (laughs) the wrath of God face to face. It's our decision. So I want to fear God now so I don't have to fear him on judgment day. And I know there's people say, well, you know, God's just full of love and and grace. And, you know, I, I don't think we need to be fearful. Well, I don't think we need to be fearful either, but we have to have a respect of God. That's what I mean by fear. We have to have an awesome respect of God. I want you to read one scripture here out of Revelation chapter 6. It says, verse 15, Then everyone, the kings of the earth and the rulers and the generals and the wealthy and the powerful and every slave and every free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? I don't want to be hiding in a cave asking the rocks to cover me on that day. I want to hear the voice of God right now today and make whatever adjustments I need to make. And you and I have that choice. We either fear God today when there's still an option for receiving his mercy or we're going to stand before God on judgment day. Number two takeaway, be active in your own accountability. We have a number of people here that are involved in NA and AA, and it's just so wonderful that they understand that they need the help of God, but they also need to be active in their own accountability. And as Christians, you and I need to be active in our accountability. See, because Christ has come and taken our place and he's forgiven us and adopted us, man, When we sin, the first thing that we should do is call it out on our own. (laughs) You shouldn't have to have somebody else say, 
hey, you've got sin in your life. You should, you should call it out yourself. You should be keeping short lists with God. And man, when, when you violate and, and when you sin and, and when you miss the mark, confess it immediately. He's faithful. He'll just to forgive you. You don't have to wait for God's discipline. <laughs> you know, you can get a head start on this. The Bible tells us to discipline yourselves. The Bible also tells us to confess our sins to one another. Whole different sermon, but there is power in confession. And we as Protestants have really thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Because James chapter 5 is very clear on that, that we're to confess our sins to one another. Why is that? Because it helps us to be more accountable. And I'm not saying you tell every little secret to every person that comes your way. I'm not. I'm talking about an accountability partner. Someone who's not judging us, but someone who's helping us. In a few weeks, we'll be taking communion again. We do that once a month here at First Assembly. Remember last month, we... Well, I guess last month we had the, the Latino ministry here, but the month before we concentrated on the Scripture in context of communion that says, examine yourselves. Don't take the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. Accountability, confession is all through the New Testament. So be active in your own accountability. Some of you might need to get your spouse involved in those areas that you're dealing with. I've said this for years, but my wife has every password for all my computers, my cell phone. No secrets. Why is that? Well, it's hold myself accountable. In fact, I told you a couple of months ago, God was dealing with me about becoming more of a man of prayer. And I was afraid that I couldn't do it on my own. <laughs> That's why I called the Tuesday morning prayer meeting. And I'm so thankful for you that come and join me on Tuesday morning. We have a wonderful time of prayer here Tuesday mornings at 7. But one of the reasons I created that event, to hold myself accountable, because I knew I probably wouldn't get up and get dressed and get here at 7 every Tuesday morning if I didn't tell you what I was going to do and ask you to join us. Accountability. Third takeaway, let your gratitude lead you toward godliness. We sing about it. God's been so good. We read about it. All the things that God did for the Israelites. Let that gratitude lead you to godliness. God reminds us so often of all the things he's done for us. We sing about it. We used to sing a song that said, count your blessings, count them one by one. You'll be surprised what the Lord has done. What a mighty God we serve. And when we begin to thank God for what he has done for us, those temptations become less tempting. You know what I mean? When you say, I have a God who loves me, I have a God who saves me, I have a God who cares about me. 
When I'm concerned and struggling, I have a God I can turn to who will help me. And that gratitude leads us to godliness. If we are so full of gratitude, as the song says, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, all the things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace. Never forget, my friends, when we don't hold ourselves accountable, God reserves the right, and he'll remind us time and time again, and he'll give us warnings. But because of his great love, there is a time of discipline that will come so that we will mature and will become more like him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the things that you're doing in our hearts during this fall teaching through this difficult book of Amos. And Lord, today we want to just spend some moments with you around this altar, perhaps kneeling where we are. And Lord, we want you to examine our heart. It's easy for us to see where we think you should judge a certain group of people. But God, today, we want to embrace your love. We want to embrace your warning. Because you love us so much that you're not going to let us get away with those things that are not like Christ in our own lives. So today, Lord Jesus, we just want to spend time with you. We give you permission to search us, to cleanse us, to help us to repent and to come back into that alignment with you that you might bless us. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?